Welcome to the St. Richard's Episcopal Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Rev. Cameron Nations. For more information, please visit strichards.org. All right, so you may have heard the expression that we are Easter people. How many of you have heard this expression before? There we go. Yeah, I do need a little feedback or else I, I really don't. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Yes. Okay, that we are Easter people, right? We are people who live in the hope of the resurrection, and that sort of shapes uh, our entire existence in reality, okay? And that is true. We are Easter people, okay? But today, I want to talk about what it might mean for us to be Pentecost people, because we're also Pentecost people, too. If we are Easter people, we are also Pentecost people. Now, if you're a long-time Episcopalian, to lower your blood pressure right away, I am not saying Pentecostal, okay? Pentecost people, okay? (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with being Pentecostal, but I just know my audience, okay? Don't, Don't be worried. So I want to talk about what that means for us today. I want to talk about being Pentecost people, and I want to do that by beginning, actually, with a question or a thought experiment. Now, if you uh, joined us for our Lenten study on St. Peter that we did on Wednesday nights during Lent, I think it was the very last session that we did. If you were there, uh, you may actually know the question I'm about to ask, because I posed it to the group that night, and I even, in full disclosure, I did say... This is like my one Pentecost sermon, so you're going to hear it again, okay? You're going to hear the thing. But if you were there, you might know what question I'm going to ask, Um, and it's this. I want us to to do this little thought experiment, okay? I want us to try as hard as we can to imagine for a moment that there are no other churches, no other churches. In fact, everybody in this room right now are the only, well, maybe not the only, but pretty close to the only Christians in the entire world. Okay, there's a couple of other people out there scattered around who, um, who are followers of Jesus, who heard Jesus teach and preach, but, but no churches, no First UMC down the road, no Palm Valley Lutheran, none of the I mean, other churches that you pass on the way to get here, that I'm always grateful that you pass on the way to get here. Thank you for coming. But just try to imagine, okay, for a minute, that we're it, that us in this room, we're it, we're all there is. We are the disciples of Jesus. That's it, okay? This is kind of hard to do, actually. It's kind of hard to to truly contemplate being the only Christians in existence just because churches are so ubiquitous. I can't even remember all of the ones that I drive past on the way from my house to here, okay? But let's try. We're the only ones, only ones. This is the question that I want to ask this morning. If we are the only Christians, we're the only followers of Jesus in the entire world, Would the church survive? Would there be, 2,000 years from now, a group of people in a room saying their prayers together, worshiping together, because of our witness today? Now, I don't mean this question in some, like, empty institutional preservation kind of way, you know, because that is one way of taking this question. Would the church still exist? Would the buildings not fall down? You know what I mean? That kind of thing. That's not what I mean. I mean, uh, you know, would the gospel, 
Would the good news of Jesus trampling down death by death, making a way for us to eternal life in union with God, redeeming all of creation by his grace and mercy, would that still be proclaimed 2,000 years from now if we were the only Christians? Now, we do have to leave aside for a moment the fact that the scriptures do tell us that if we didn't do it, even the rocks and the trees would cry out, okay? But here's the thing. We can't uh, use that to escape our own responsibility. Now, I ask this question because, to me, this is a question that is always raised for me each and every Pentecost, right? This is raised for me each and every Pentecost. It's a gut check. It's a check to see whether or not I am living my life on mission the way that I should be, but also for us as a community. Are we living our lives on mission in the way that we're called to do? Because I believe that if we feel even the least bit hesitant about our answer, if when I say, would it still be here 2,000 years from now, would there still be people like us gathered in a room saying prayers? If our response to that is, maybe, right? Then I think we need to pause and reflect on that. As I think it expresses doubt about one of two things, or both. It could, both of these things could be true. That our faith in God's ability through the Holy Spirit to empower us for ministry is called into question. That's one of the things. And or the way that we are spending our time, energy, and resources right here, right now. That's called into question by this question. Both of those things can be true. Now, it is hard to imagine ourselves as the only Christians in existence. It's really, it truly is hard to do. But I think that part of that is we look at the existence of so many other churches, we look at the existence of so many other communities of faith, uh, I mean, even just other Episcopal churches in the Austin area, right? To say nothing of other denominations, other groups, other bodies, whatever. We can look at all of that, and it can be very easy for us to read that as an excuse to be complacent in our own faith. Well, they'll get to it, right? They'll take care of it. Someone else is forming and shaping disciples, I'm sure, you know? And so it will perpetuate. But every community of faith, I think, is called to think this way. I want to be a person. I want to be the kind of priest. And I want us to be the kind of church and community that lives in such a way where the answer to that question of whether or not 2,000 years from now there's going to be a group of Christians worshiping and praying because of the work and witness that we have here, I want the answer to that to be, yeah, yeah. Now, of course, as someone reminded me in the sacristy after the last service, if you would have asked Peter and the disciples that day that were gathered in that room in Pentecost, and I do actually need to talk about what Pentecost is, um, but uh, if you were to ask them that day, they probably, you know, would they'll be, you know, followers of Jesus doing this 2,000 years from now, they'd probably be like, I don't, I don't know. You know, that's a long time. That's a whole long time. And a lot of them thought Jesus was about to come right back. Right? They thought Jesus' return was like pretty soon from now. Jesus had just ascended into heaven, and they thought he was coming back like literally any day. So 2,000 years, they'd be like, wait, it's going to take how long now? How long is it going to be? There's still going to be? But the thing about it, right, is that Holy Spirit, that same spirit that descended on those disciples there in that room in Jerusalem that day, like tongues of fire... That same Holy Spirit is the same one that's in this room this morning. 
Okay, all right, I want to talk about that. I've now gotten way off my notes, such as they are. <laughs> and I want to bring us back. So it is Pentecost Sunday, and we've been talking, I've been kind of referring to Pentecost, this, uh, this crazy story that we read about in the beginning of Acts chapter 2. And so I want to take just a second and talk about what actually is Pentecost, what happened there. Um, because the word Pentecost is one of those words, it's a churchy word, and you can be very tempted in church just to talk about it as if like, you know, like Pentecost. You know, and everyone's just supposed to know what that means. But how many of you have ever heard that word spoken outside of church? Right. Well, okay, maybe one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Okay, all right. So, you're the only one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's a churchy word. So what is Pentecost? Well, Pentecost is a Jewish festival. Okay, first and foremost, it was a Jewish festival. It happened, uh, Penta, on the 50th day after the Passover. And it was a big deal because it was one of the festivals that, you would tr that was a traveling festival. And by that, I don't mean that it traveled, <laughs> like Pentecost didn't go from city to city on tour, um, but that you traveled to it. Okay, so there were a few big festivals in the year where you would go to Jerusalem and, and celebrate, feast, do whatever, you know, the festival was about. And Pentecost was one of those, which is why uh, you see that there are people from every nation gathered there in Jerusalem. Uh, our translation says that there were people living in Jerusalem from every nation, and that may give the impression that they all just had permanent residence there. And Jerusalem probably was a pretty diverse place, actually. But in this case, what it means is they had all come there. They were there then for the festival, okay? And so that's why you see all of these people groups listed there, which the reader always has to valiantly get through uh, in the day. And, and you did great, Bobby. Thank you for that. You, you did well. You spoke it with confidence, and that was the important thing. Um, but no, there's all these different people groups. They're gathered there in Jerusalem. And something wild happens, okay? The Holy Spirit descends on the disciples that are gathered there in Jerusalem like tongues of fire, and they begin to proclaim the gospel in all of these different languages that they didn't know how to speak previously, okay? And all of these people who are gathered there in Jerusalem are marveling at this because they're hearing these words spoken in their own language, and this is such a crazy sight that they even proclaim, these guys must be drunk, right? That must be what's going on. And Peter says, oh, no, no, it's only nine in the morning, okay? It's not, that's not it. That's not what's going on here, okay? And so they do this, right? And then what happens next is Peter actually preaches this sermon and he pulls from the Old Testament in these three different ways. And we only get the first part of it in today's reading. I think it's... It'd be a super long reading if we read the whole thing. But we get the first part of Peter's sermon after this, and then um, there's this big kind of revival that happens, and 3,000 people are added to their number, are baptized that day. Um, and so that's, that's Pentecost. Okay, that's Pentecost. And I, I want to uh, kind of focus on just one aspect of that this morning, about answering this question about being a Pentecost people, an Easter people, a Pentecost people. I want to talk about evangelism and mission and what that looks like. Okay, because I'm sure all of us have seen, probably even experienced examples of evangelism, of bearing the good news of Jesus out of the world, done very poorly, right? Or at the very least, done not very winsomely, right? Maybe you've been on the receiving end of this. Um, and no matter how many times even you tell them, no, I, I actually, I go to church. But see, it's not the right church, and so they're going to make sure, right? We've probably all experienced this. And so sometimes, because of our experience with this kind of thing, 
the idea of sharing our faith, of, of proclaiming and professing our faith in public ways in the world makes us a little uncomfortable, you know? You know, it makes me uncomfortable sometimes. I mean, I walk around in the uniform sometimes, and it's hard not to be a Christian in public when I'm wearing this funny shirt. Although one time in a Chipotle burrito line, I used to, there was a Chipotle by a church I served two churches ago. And so I would go there pretty frequently, more than I really want to admit, okay? And one of the, uh, one of the girls in the burrito line, um, she would see me come in every time. And one time, finally, uh, she started talking to me, and I realized, uh, and about, about, you know, faith stuff, right? Faith stuff. And something just didn't, I don't know, it just wasn't quite connecting. And then I realized, uh, I asked her a question about, you know, well, what, I don't know, where do you go to church? I couldn't remember. She goes, are you not a rabbi? Like, that's, she thought it was, so, <laughs> anyway, I was like, I mean, kind of, not, no, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that, okay? But anyway, but there are times when I, uh, you know, I feel sort of kind of self-conscious wearing the shirt around because it's kind of, you know, people will talk to you about, about stuff. And so sometimes it's hard to be a Christian in public. Um, I once heard Carly Hughes, the Bishop of Newark, uh, preach this, this incredible sermon, actually, where I get that phrase, being a Christian in public. She, I don't know if she borrowed it from somebody else, um, but this was the main point of her sermon, was that we need to be unafraid to be Christian in public. This is what we needed to be. Um, but there's an important lesson to take away from, uh, from Pentecost that I want us not to miss, which is that you notice that as the apostles here are being Christian in public, they're doing it in a way that those around them hear and understand. In this case, they're doing it in, uh, in an actual, like, li literal language that they speak, right? But I think that there's a sense in which each of us in our lives, in, in inhabiting the spaces in which we inhabit, whether it's your professional life, maybe it's your uh, maybe it's something that you do for fun or whatever or where you're from or what you... We all have um, these little communities, right, that we go forth from this place and we go to that place. You know, maybe tomorrow morning you'll get in your car and you'll drive to work and you'll be in that community. And each of the communities that we're a part of has its own culture. It has its own way of speaking and talking, just like church, Pentecost, right? That's a church word, right? But each of our spheres of influence has those kinds of words. They have their own languages. And so I think we need to be attentive to how to speak in the language that people will hear, right? Wherever we are, how to speak the gospel in our daily lives, how to be Christian in public in a way that people will actually hear, understand, and receive what we have to say. Now, to conclude today, because Pentecost is really one of those days where, like, I could just keep preaching. I could just keep preaching. Um, and so I want to land this plane. And I want to land it by basically just issuing us a challenge, okay? Because Pentecost is also the day that we're kind of declaring as the start of church summer, okay? Um, today is, uh, is the start of church summer, so next week um, the service schedule will remain the same throughout the summer, but we won't, do, we won't have Sunday school going on. Uh, instead, we'll be doing other things. We've got VBS, we've got mission trips, we've got some social things that'll be happening. A lot of different things will be happening, but, um, but we'll kind of be, uh, uh, our schedule will change until we get back to August. And, um, and so as we start to hop off 
uh, and, and we'll probably all be traveling and, and doing and different things over the course of the summer. I want to leave us with this challenge because I'm really, really excited actually about a lot of the stuff that's coming down the pike for fall that I'll share with you as we get closer to time. Um, but I just want to say, you know, to come back to that initial question of in 2,000 years, will there, you know, provided there's still things happening 2,000 years from now, right, if uh, the world has not been redeemed by then, um, will there be people in a room gathering in word and sacrament like we are because of our witness? Um, I just want to say, if, if the answer to that question to you feels kind of iffy, be encouraged. Because we here at St. Richard's, like in this room this very day, are more well-resourced, more well-connected, we have more social capital, more professional skills, more money, more everything than, the, than those 12 disciples that were gathered in that room, right? I mean, they'd all just kind of been fishermen, right? That was what they'd done. And so if we start to underestimate our own ability to change and transform our community, the world, et cetera, et cetera, I think we're just mistaken. Because I think to do that is actually to really undermine the power of that same spirit that, as I said, was there with the disciples on that day and is here this morning with us now. We are limited, truly, only by our moral imaginations and our ability to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say to us. And so my challenge to us this morning is just over the course of the summer to cultivate a spiritual practice of openness to the Holy Spirit, to what God is saying and speaking to you and to you and to you and to everybody in this room. Because as I've said many times before, Mother Kelly and I are not the professional religious people who do ministry for you. You do ministry. <laughs> and we have a special role to play as a part of that, right? We hope to equip you, we preach, we teach, we administer the sacraments. But we aren't the ones who do ministry. You are the ones who do ministry. Our ministry just looks like this, okay? But you are the ones who do ministry, and so I actually need you. We need you as a staff. We can plan and do all that we want to do, planning for uh, a lot of the fun stuff and, and great formation opportunities that are coming up in the fall. But none of it's going to really matter if y'all aren't open to the Holy Spirit, too, because y'all are the ones doing the ministry. And so we need you to be open and listening. So if to be Easter people is to be a people of hope, which we are, ultimate hope in the goodness of God, of his love, of his grace, of his mercy, of his power to redeem, if that is what it means for us to be Easter people, then to be Pentecost people is to actually be willing to share that hope, to proclaim that hope, to make disciples, and to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit that same spirit that alighted like tongues of fire over the disciples that day in Jerusalem and who alights like tongues of fire upon us today in this room. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For service times or more information on St. Richard's, please visit strichards.org.